But what is Vladimir Putin's goal in Ukraine? Is it a greater new Russia or something else? And now that uh, Russian atrocities are becoming more evident, should Western powers push for a compromise peace or for punitive measures against Russia, like those imposed on Germany in the 1919 Versailles Treaty? Back in the US, should we congratulate Elon Musk on becoming the largest shareholder in Twitter and hope that he will strike a blow for free speech? And how about we ask Mickey Mouse how it's working out for Disney to take sides in the culture wars? We'll talk about all this and more in today's episode of Independent Outlook. Hi, everybody. I'm Graham Walker coming to you today from the Independent Institute in Oakland, California, right across the bay from San Francisco, where we try to give you a take on the issues of the day that doesn't quite fit into standard categories, but instead takes an independent look. Uh, today, I am joined by my two colleagues, uh, often ready to talk with me about anything under the sun. First of all, uh, David Thoreau, founder and president of Independent Institute. Hello, David. Hi, Graham. Good to be here. Great to see you. Also by Williamson Evers, Bill Evers, who is the director of our Center on Educational Excellence. Hello, Bill. Hello, Graham. Great to see you. Uh, and we are also uh, always pleased to have so many of our friends join us from across the country and actually overseas sometimes, too. Uh, many of you are joining via our YouTube page, our Facebook page, through Vimeo, through Twitter. And we welcome especially all of our friends coming to us through thinkspot.com. Uh, and so we are uh, also able to take comments and questions through all those different channels. And they will be, if you write your comments uh, in the chat function, those will be funneled to me. And I'll be happy to take your questions as we move along today. So, um, gentlemen. Let's talk about Ukraine and Russia. I mean, what's Putin up to? Um, it looked like at the beginning he wanted to just have a quick take and, and grab Kiev for himself and install a new government, but that didn't work out. Now, apparently, he's withdrawn from forces from around Kiev and moved them to the east and to the south. What do you think is the aim here? Uh, because if we understand Putin's goal, then we might have a sense of what the possible solutions are you know, end games might be peace, ceasefire, whatever. Bill, what do you think Putin is up to? Well, it's hard to say. He could come back to Kiev. Uh, at the very beginning, it looked like he wanted to take the entirety of Ukraine. Then it seemed like he was only looking at Kiev and south and to the east, with maybe Odessa in the works. Now that he's retreated from around Kiev, but of course he could come back. People are speculating that what he might be trying to do is annex or put in a puppet government in the area mm -hmm. called New Russia or Novorossiya. And this is an area that Russia conquered at the time of Catherine the Great. And his, her, her famous minister, Potemkin, for whom Potemkin villages are named, uh, was the administrator of this area. And uh, so if you could show the map of where Novorossiya is, so you can see the shaded area there. And it stretches from uh, the Donbass region in the east uh, up to Kharkiv, and it goes across the south coastal region to Odessa and over to Mold Moldova there. And so, the reason we think this might be a plausible aim well, is why again? I think it's because that's where the troops and fighting are principally located mm -hmm. now. And uh, so, you know, it's it's hard to say because we can't read his mind. We, we don't have access to what he's telling people close to him. But I think this is plausible. Now, there was a new statesman, which is a British... <laughs> slightly left of center publication had an extensive translated interview with one person in Putin's inner circle. Sergei Karaganov, yeah. honorary chair of the Moscow think tank, the Council for Foreign and Defense Policy. Exactly. So he had a lot of uh, horrifying things to say. But one of them is we can't lose, we can't afford to lose. If we lose, it's a Lost to the West, we're essentially at war at the West. If and if it's at a we Russia or at a, uh, even if the fighting is not directly against NATO powers, and he suggested uh, you, you know annexation or uh, maybe Hungary and Poland and Moldova and so forth would take pieces and Russia would take a piece. 
So the idea would be there would be no real entity of the Ukraine, and he thought it was a fake country also. This sounds so 19th century or earlier. Yeah. Well, anyway, mm -hmm. so that's the situation. Now, as to what, uh, you know, we have to think about what Zelensky and the politicians in Ukraine are thinking about, and we also have to think about the very... <clears throat> hopped up rhetoric in the United States these days. I mean, both the Wall Street Journal, Gary Kasparov, the chess champion, and uh, the New York Times with Brett Stevens have both said that Biden's supposed gaffe that Putin should be overthrown, that should be followed up on. Well, that wasn't what he said. He just said he should, shouldn't be should, in power. Shouldn't stay in power any longer. That's yeah. right. Mm-hmm be in power any longer. But anyway, they, they doubled down on that, and they're hardly the only ones to have done so. And we're starting to see people say the United States should go in uh, in full, you know, with troops, with forces, Man. things like this. Not, mm -hmm. not many people, but a few people. So Zelensky has this problem that, you know, because of the atrocities, because of the pain of war because of the rising nationalism, it's very hard for him to come to a compromise. The Russians have, a, I mean, the Russians, obviously, their propaganda is super nationalistic. And they're saying that the country doesn't even deserve to exist. So it's very right. hard for them to come to uh, some kind of compromise. The, the, we, we the, might comment, have, from, we might the have, comment from Karaganov was so interesting. He said just verbatim, you, you referred to it, but he said, Russia cannot afford to lose a war. We need a kind of victory. Yeah. Well, you know, both sides mm -hmm. need to be able to cl claim a kind of victory. Uh, it, it's, it's hard for us sort of neutrally sitting here, not the three of us, not fighting or something, not being government officials, we could say, well, you know, give Crimea back to the Crimean Tatars or, <laughs> you know, give uh, the small two, two puppet republics there in the east, uh, maybe they should succeed. They're, they seem to be pretty fanatically pro-Russian. It wouldn't probably harm, but maybe they've changed, the people there may have changed their minds, witnessing the warfare and some of the atrocities. So it's a very difficult thing to say, how do people get out of this? I do think it's amazing the ludicrousness and wild exaggerations in the Russian propaganda that's being fed to the people there. Uh, yeah, I feel mm -hmm. sorry for the Russian people. Uh, we, you of know, course, just... don't yet know some things that we think are true may be also propaganda. War, mm -hmm. war is a war of propaganda, not just of arms and shooting and so forth. I, I it's wanted... the first truth is the first casualty. Yes. Isn't it, though? Yeah, and I want to turn further to David because, you know, the more the uh, evidence of Russian atrocities builds up, um, as in these areas that they withdrew from recently and, you know, just littered with corpses, the more indignation builds up. He's, he's a tyrant. Right. He's, he's horrible. Um, mm -hmm. And the more that awful reality hits the Western public and the American public, the more there is a felt need to do something physically about it's it. It's like the atrocities in Cuba in 1898 or something like that. Mm -hmm. it's well, I'm thinking of Saddam Hussein the feeding the Belgian, those... The killing of Belgians, much of which yes. was uh, exaggerated in World War I and so forth. Well, it's like the uh, uh, the woman who was talking about babies being taken out of incubators and put on the cold floor um, <clears throat> that prompted the um, Iraq War, I believe. Is that right? It was during the Iraq well, that War. Plus so that was not Saddam. That, that was a, a paid agent. <laughs> but anyway, well, Saddam paid agent. Saddam many, was a paid agent, but many the daughter right, of official, the minister. Right. Yeah. So. Right. Well, you know, atrocities Saddam Hussein was place. feeding people into those shredders and so forth. Uh, and that was one of the things that prompted, Saddam was a you know, brutal person. There's no doubt about it. But terrible no exaggerations uh, take place in right. wartime. And governments, the, the, the figures in government <clears throat> are somewhat at the mercy of an aroused public. They, they can only mm -hmm. fend it off so much. Right. Right. And so, again, the question is, 
uh, is this conflict one that has much to do with America's national security. That's right. That's exactly well put by David. Is this there somehow are places in the vital... world that have far more atrocities, including in Ethiopia and other countries, and yet there are no cameras recording them. Right. And so it's not to minimize or, or to, to ignore the reality of the barbaric barbarism that Putin is doing, but. The difference in this case, even comparing it to the uh, uh, U.S. efforts against Gaddafi and against Saddam and so on, is that Russia has nuclear weapons. <clears throat> and to save face, uh, if Putin is backed up, we don't know exactly how far he would go. Um, as this interview discusses, Kragnikov, uh, is that how I pronounce it? Yeah, I think so. Uh, is saying that we have to save face, uh, but he wasn't sure exactly where that where right. that point is. Right. Uh, I do think that he's right that a partition is probably the most likely outcome, mm -hmm. and probably the best outcome as far as giving a face saving uh, situation to Putin and also Zelensky rather. Uh, and uh, but. The, the calls to send in U.S. troops and warplanes and, um, and, 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 and other measures. many American people, either retired military or members of Congress, are yes. saying the goal must be victory over Putin. They're, yes, they're saying right. that over and over instead of right. let's get it, to a peace as soon as we can and, and right. try to get people back at least to the status quo ante. Right. And uh, I think that the interview also uh, clearly discusses how the buildup, the Eastern expansion of NATO uh, and the European mm -hmm. Union and the U.S.'s involvement, uh, significant involvement in Ukraine led to Putin basically saying, we have no choice. And so... I think that's the message, uh, the propaganda method message, of course, that Putin is giving to the Russian people and censoring anything other than that. But I believe that is as far as geopolitics is concerned. And the history of Russia is certainly a clear explanation of the thinking. Uh, but again, the point is, how do we get out from under this mm -hmm. with a minimum number of people harmed in the process? And it's certainly not sending in US troops. So I saw a story today saying that the Czech Republic is sending uh, old Russian-style tanks to mm -hmm. Ukraine and that Poland and Czech Republic are um, pondering being repair shops. So the Ukrainian armored vehicles, uh, many of them have been harmed during the war. They also, the mm -hmm. Ukrainians have captured a fair amount of equipment Yes, from the Russians, but that it's somewhat damaged. And so mm -hmm. it's possible that these countries will become repair shops. On the other hand, Putin has said that any arms shipments coming into Ukraine are legitimate targets. So, right. you know, yeah. this, so th this, this is, a, is very dangerous. Right. And so if they, if they send in these reconditioned uh, Russian tanks, and they're successful in fending off the Russian assault, then Putin is pushed against a wall and he's going to strike back because he wants to save face. And so I think it's it's not exactly an intelligent poker move, is I would suggest. Mm -hmm. and well, the whole thing is just become... terribly fraught with peril. It's just all very yes, dangerous. That's right. Absolutely. And if those countries, and I think Biden, you know, one one interesting about the interview that's worth pointing out too, is, you know, Biden has been uh, pretty uh, irresponsible in basically excusing uh, chemical weapons, sending in the uh, uh, different army divisions, essentially, uh, and so on, and then having the White House backtrack on that the next day, uh, and so this particular interview points out that the Russians see that as an indication that Putin, that, that Biden doesn't know what he's talking about and they don't take it seriously. On the other so hand, that's a good, that's a, on the other hand, they can still, just be veiled coy threats. 
They could be veiled, coy threats, and it could also be Biden being stupid and giving away what the U.S. is really doing. It's a mess. Yep. Um, we've got a, a friend on the line, uh, Dick, who says, uh, I don't understand why are we so slow getting weapons into Ukraine? This is coming to us uh, uh, through one of our platforms. Uh, mm -hmm. Are we being so slow, do you think, in getting weapons into Ukraine? I think, you know, one of the problems is a week's worth of incoming weapons are used by the Ukrainians in one day. <clears throat> right. Mm -hmm. So this battle, this fighting, takes <clears throat> up a huge amount of weapons. Yeah. And so, you know, the three of us are not, you know, some, some, I just heard somebody saying, well, now we're the arsenal of democracy, going back to a phrase from the. I was going to say that sounds familiar. Early 1940s. But the point is, uh, the American public has not deliberated through its representatives in Congress that it wants to get sucked into World War III. So, you know, this arming of one of the belligerents is a very dangerous thing. And mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, I don't, I don't think that there is some kind of intentional slowing of arms flow into Ukraine. But remember, oh, another thing to remember is no arms are going through Hungary. So Hungary has a small frontier mm -hmm. with Ukraine, <clears throat> but the leader of Hungary, although he's condemned the Russian inv invasion, he is uh, strictly neutral. Uh, and if anything, uh, repeats um, some of the Russian propaganda claims. I want to come back to a point that David was making. You know, when when people hear you say, David, that uh, we shouldn't send U.S. fighter planes or U.S. troops or whatever uh, into the situation, I agree with you. But there, I can imagine a reaction of someone who might say, well, mm -hmm. don't you care about those murdered babies? Mm -hmm. um, well, this doesn't, as I've mentioned in, in earlier uh, independent outlook programs, I think Americans should be free to support and volunteer and organize like any other group, but privately if they want to uh, send their sons and daughters off to this war. And we also know but, we also know somebody. But it should not be anything anything close to official policy of the of the U.S. government. We we know some the three of us or at least two of us know Tom Palmer, who yep. is a longtime classical liberal uh, missionary, so to speak. And he is in, in Ukraine. There's actually a picture of him on Facebook at Ludwig von Mises' birthplace in Lviv. Von Mises was born mm. in Lviv. It's called mm. Lemberg in those days. But uh, so Palmer, you know, used to, usually is bringing in pamphlets and books and holding seminars, but right now he's using these connections to bring in things like body armor and food and things like that. And uh, so that's very courageous of him. And uh, so, you know, we think that's okay if people want to do things like that. That's, yeah, it's, it's a very uh, did, dangerous for them, of course. David, well, when? after, after the 9-11 uh, attack, uh, we proposed uh, that there be uh, a letter of mark. Now, it was a different instance because the U.S. mainland was attacked. Right. But one of the things that came out of that was uh, there was at least one billionaire in uh, Silicon Valley, I believe it's a group, that wanted to put together a billion-dollar bounty fund to go after the culprits behind the attack on the Twin Towers and the Pentagon and so on. And those kinds of efforts, I think, are, are perfectly legitimate, perfectly legitimate, and could be encouraged to support at least the protection of the innocent people mm -hmm. who are being attacked. Um, but the view that the only way we can respond to this is by sending in um, armor divisions and stealth bombers and so on is not true and is, is just very dangerous. Uh, your comment, David, speaks to a question we're getting from one of our Facebook participants, Elena, who says she'd be curious to know whether your view of whether there would be any more effective measures to stop Russia's aggression 
uh, in Ukraine rather than the extensive economic sanctions yes. and the withdrawal of all investment in commercial companies. So your that's, letter that's, what Mark, da- that's what David was talking about, yeah. response to that. Well, the that number question. one way to, to affect Putin is to ab- is to eliminate all these restrictions on oil and gas production in the United Absolutely. States. Absolutely, exactly. If they did that, the futures market of oil and energy would be affected immediately. Right. And you'd have massive production. Uh, I believe that the... Um, the price uh, of oil would premier, drop. The revenues to the Russian would government would Absolutely. drop. Absolutely. And that's the, the, it's the, the whole green agenda on climate is what's funding Putin's ability to wage this war because mm-hmm. the Russian oil price, he's making enormous amounts of money, even though certain markets are cut off to him. He can sell it to China. He can sell it to lots of places. And it's a world and market. It's a world market. So it, it's it's a simple measure. But the Greens are against it, and Biden needs the Greens to stay in power. Plus, yeah, of course, the Democratic mean, Party. Plus, of course, they're trying so which, to... So which is it? Which is it? Do they care about the price that the average person has to pay and the well-being of the people in the Ukraine? Or is it some uh, fly-by-night uh, climate alarmist agenda, which is unscientifically verified? And I think that's where that's the side they're, they're taking. Well, plus, David, plus, the thing is that the people who tenaciously cling to the Green agenda they would say, well, we don't intend through our green agenda to be helping a barbarian like Putin. Mm-hmm. That's not our intent. I know. Well, they're, and, they're trying. Essentially, they're, that is the effect. They're exactly, trying, and, the effect. They're trying to. F- and this has been pointed out to them, and they will not move. So they're trying to flip this, though, both Biden and the green uh, activists. So right. they're saying, well, if we didn't need any gasoline and any natural gas, then Putin wouldn't be making money from exports. And therefore, mm-hmm. let's coercively shut down the industrial economy. And mm-hmm. then there won't be that problem. Of course, you know the economy would collapse. And even if there were low-cost alternatives to fossil fuels, uh, the economy is not going to turn overnight. Not not during the time of this uh, Russian invasion to those other alternatives, which are now very costly and unreliable. There's absolutely no way that renewables can replace the use of oil. I'm not disagreeing. Ever. And certainly not in 10 years or 50 years. It's just the efficiency are not there. You'd have to put solar panels over the entire globe and which would, be, need to which would be terrible for the environment, I should add. Well, the other part of this is uh, the look. Think about the price of oil as it affects developing countries, and most people don't real don't seem to think about it. It's not just the gasoline in your car; it's all the products made from plastic. It's fertilizers. It's all sorts of things that are part of the modern economy. And if you if you shut down or radically reduce the use of oil and gas. You end up harming billions of people. So what is the point? The point is we don't care about the billions of people. We want our That's right. way. <laughs> we want our way. And, the, and of course, the population uh, control part aspect of this is also part of this thinking as well. So, I, but I think that's that is the simple. Anyway, the point is that's as I was making the simplest way. To stop Putin is to, is to to essentially unleash the fossil fuel industry. The price of oil will plummet. His revenues he will plummet. His pl- he <laughs> I forget. It was John McCain. John McCain said that Russia is simply a gas station, and without being able to sell the gas, they don't have the the capital. Uh, they don't have the finances to f- fight a war. I think. And, I think we could turn to another development. Which, oh, but I have another. Uh, I have another point though. Uh, I wanted to make before before you turn over there, Bill. I just wanted to comment um, in response to David uh, that when people say, well, it, when the, "Well, those behind the green agenda, you know, they want to win." Um, the sad thing is that those who are tenaciously holding on to that so-called green agenda uh, and the climate alarmism and so forth. It's not just that they want to win, it's that they have become persuaded that their way of looking at the world is accurate 
in other ways or not, I think that it's, it's a delusion, but it's a deeply felt and, and deeply held delusion, yeah. which needs to be undone, not just by scoffing at them, obviously, but by giving no. them information that would enable them right. to see that what they intend is not, not the effect that they're producing and that their way of interpreting the world economically and otherwise uh, and, and environmentally is simply not based on facts. That's, that could it's pry like, them away from the fanaticism. It's basically the Malthusian theory is repackaged essentially and brought into the modern world and climate is used as the rationale for it. Indeed. And uh, so our book, Hot Talk Called Science, uh, carefully goes through the evidence and shows that there is no, there is no climate crisis now or in the foreseeable future, certainly. And the measures that they're using to shut down are, are creating enormous problems and a likelihood that other conflicts will break out if this continues around the world with the price of oil is, not is, is certainly not something that we should be surprised about because people are going to be desperate. So and I, I was wondering that people do look at our book, Hot Talk Gold Science, for the evidence that we're talking about. There's also a number of excellent videos on our YouTube channel, I, I should point out, too. But go ahead, Bill. I wondered if we could turn to an unexpected development, which has been uh, Elon Musk, the uh, entrepreneur behind Tesla cars, has purchased a 9% holding in uh, Twitter. 9.2%. Yeah. And what, the point two is not insignificant. Well, anyway, he's the largest stockholder, and the company has announced he's going to be on the board of directors. Right. And uh, I wondered if we could share some thoughts we might have on this with the, our listening audience. Well, it looks like uh, Elon has something in mind for the company. Um, mm -hmm. He did a second filing with the SEC, uh, noting that he is going to be an active, not merely a passive shareholder. He's got a seat on the board uh, mm -hmm. before he made it all public. Uh, that he had acquired all these shares. He did a Twitter poll uh, asking people whether they thought that Twitter was being faithful to free speech principles, and some 70% said no, Twitter wasn't. He clearly has in mind to either reform Twitter or maybe later compete with it if it doesn't reform, don't you think? I think so. And, and the great thing about this is, as was pointed out by the Wall Street Journal in an editorial, is this is a free enterprise solution, a private property solution to a problem that has arisen because so many people have been using Twitter as their way of communicating and debating and gathering news. And the, the platform was getting so politically biased and so much thorough editing and monitoring that it was becoming painful for many users. And some liberalization of its practices will benefit the company and will benefit these users. And Musk had the entrepreneurial insight to realize this. And so it's not the same as the government imposing this on Twitter, although, you know, sometimes threats do come from governments to things like Twitter and the other platforms. But I think this is a free enterprise. Uh, alternative to what a lot of people in Congress have been working their way toward. I, I do want to add, though, that Twitter has defrauded a lot of people because they claimed initially that they were going to be a free speech platform, that you could express your views and debates, a public forum, and that was the, the, the appeal of Twitter. But that's turned out to be not the case. So I think there's a fraudulent basis to their behavior. I also think that... And there, uh, and there was the fraud connected to the uh, truck convoy in Canada. Mm -hmm. That's right. So... Yeah, the other part is um, uh, there was a great uh, study, I guess I'm looking at an article from, from actually from NBC News in July 2020 that really sort of broke the silence on... Uh, the name of the title, Thousands of Contracts Highlight Quiet Ties Between Big Tech and the U.S. Military. Wow. So it's, it's, you know, it's Google, it's Microsoft, it's all these firms have massive numbers of 
contracts and they they hide it through subcontract arrangements that you can only learn about through freedom of information lawsuits. But this is quite enormous. But I do think and, I do think we have to conclude provisionally that this is optimistic yes. news. It is optimistic news, and uh, predictably, um, uh, there was a, a report uh, that the people who are involved in the censoring uh, of uh, they're, material they're, they're on Twitter, aghast. they're upset, right. they're distraught. So they've said, they've stated that although the company's board, <laughs> i.e., including Musk, quote plays an important advisory advisory and feedback role. Policy decisions are not determined by the board or, sh or shareholders, and we have no plans to reverse any policy decisions. I think, Sounds I think some of them may discover they're getting their walking papers because... Well, Joe Ellen Posner, who's a law professor at Santa Clara University, is quoted as saying, I would not be surprised if there are shakeups of various sorts following this development. Oh, I would not I be surprised. I think the employees may learn that the CEO is hired by the board yeah. and the board determines policy for the company. Exactly. As it so should. I think, as it should. Right. As it should. Exactly. So I think the bottom line is that Bill is absolutely right that private firms make the rules based on the rule of law and based on the contracts they have. Uh, if they if they uh, go different from that, they're accountable. But but overall, the point is, if you, even when you do that, there are competitive pressures. And I think Musk entry into this. He was talking about starting his own platform at one point. I, th I think which he decided this which is might a lot. still happen if if oh, it, it might still, becomes too might, recalcitrant. Right, exactly. But at least he's he's seen this as an opportunity. It might be less costly and less complicated, right. and also helps him gain more public, uh, a bigger public persona right. of doing the right thing. Right. I like the fact that uh, Elon said about 10 days ago that Twitter, quote, Twitter serves as the de facto public town square. Right. And he's right. right. Of course, the word de facto right. is important. It's not the legally the governmental town square, but it is de facto socially the town square. Well, this, is, this, this actually reminds me of a horrible case called the Pruneyard case, Supreme Court case, mm -hmm. where... Uh, so there was a parking lot of a shopping center and people were engaged in political activity and the owners of the shopping center said, get, get off our land. And mm -hmm. they sued saying, well, this parking lot is a public forum. So anyway, the public forum doctrine as a legal doctrine is fraught with peril for property rights. It sure is, yeah. So, but anyway, also, as, as, a, as a metaphor, it's all right. I think it's well, as true. A metaphor. As it's yeah. true that Twitter is a kind of major public forum, yeah. and uh, and this is part of this larger culture war. I think one of the most fascinating things in the culture war is this material that uh, Christopher Rufo got from the Disney employees, mm -hmm. showing their internal. Uh, deliberations, their instruction on what they're going to, you know, they're not going to say, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls anymore in <laughs> Disneyland. Heaven forbid. Uh, that they're going to have all these characters that uh, have a multitude of sexualities and racial and all, just all, it's all a political agenda instead of a kind yeah. of fairy tale story. <clears throat> agenda and the fantasy agenda and innocence and it's it's aimed at very young children and so there's a lot of uh, concern among the public about this again there's a property right solution you know if you don't like disneyland in anaheim right. you can go <clears throat> to knott's berry farm or uh, mm. other parks that are around and similarly, in Orlando, there are other venues. So it's just, it's the company's decision. We can, we can make judgments about wisdom of it. We can make moral judgments about where they're going with this. But um, the, market, the market will also supply pressure to them. They're already right. losing immense uh customer base out of this. Their branding is really Her, plummeting. Sorry, but right. one thing also, Bill, even in the Orlando, although 
the area where Disney is located, uh, Disney World is located, came into fruition essentially in prosperity with all the other uh, amusement parks and so on because of Disney World. Disney World was given exemption by the state. They, they allowed it to be a municipality of its own. Right. Now, I'm in favor of proprietary communities, yeah. but they, so they get subsidy, but they actually get financial subsidies and other benefits that none of these other uh, parks have. Give it to all the and other so, parks. <laughs> well, <laughs> my view is to remove the subsidies. Anyway, I think that it's certainly it now true, become it, a political it, controversy in Florida as to whether they should right. have any special treatment. Competition is a great thing. I mean, for example, competition among different governments around the world as far as income tax rates, including business tax rates, are major factors in where businesses will, will locate. It's true in the United States as well. It's true. I noticed uh, that the attempt at a uniform corporate tax has been yes. uh, shunted aside, at least temporarily. Poland right. has vetoed it for right. the EU, and mm -hmm. U.S. Congress yep. can't seem to come to a conclusion about it. Mm. That's right. Uh, I also and noticed that Wired... But it's th that doesn't excuse the income tax that exists in no, those countries. No, no, of course. But the point is that the relative differences competing is an important thing. Right. And this proposal for a global tax wanted to eliminate that competition. Mm -hmm. Yes, it did. That was its purpose, its stated purpose. So also Wired, which is a conservative platform, uh, has announced that it's putting, I don't know, $100 million, small potatoes compared to Disney's capitalization, into uh, children's programming. So there are going to be uh -huh. competition to Disney that Disney yeah. opens itself up to. It's, it's I mean, tough, though. You know, it's like the problems with the Boy Scouts. You know, some people will yeah. set up alternative Boy Scouts. But the regular Boy Scouts have been around a long time. And you can now be a girl and be in the Boy Scouts too. That's another thing. Policy. Mm -hmm. We can't cover well, everything, but that's another yeah. side part of it. But going back to Disney, I mean, is yeah. it really appropriate for the recipient of special government privileges conferred by the state of Florida, as in their municipal status, for that entity then to be putting political and financial pressure on the state of Florida uh, to rescind its recently enacted legislation on K through grade three educational standards on sexual matters. Is, is that really Not only that, but the company is based in California. Yeah, right. And so, I mean, the whole thing is a, is a confusion. But even take the simple things like saying, we're not going to say, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. The, the point about that is they don't want to mention girls and women. Because what, women do not exist anymore. What can they do? They have Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse. They have I know. An, That's innumerable, right. so innumerable that it, princesses. They have yes, Snow White. Of course, I mean, Cinderella's what are they Castle. Going to do? They're ruined. <laughs> They're going to basically make a so called a gender fluid environment. And they want to target young children because they believe that the nuclear family uh, essentially creates bigotry. Um, among young children, they want to get them as early as possible to expose them to this gender fluid ideology. That's the point. I mean, I suppose uh, we could say that if a private company. It's a cultural Marxist critique of the family. Is what that's it right. Is. If yeah. they want to abolish Tinkerbell, don't yep. believe in fairies. That's what I say. <laughs> <laughs> but it would seem that here we've got a major company highly dependent upon a pretty. Uh, uh, standard uh, middle of the road constituency that is in the process of trying to commit market suicide by a taking sides in the culture war. Why does Disney have to take sides in the culture war? I should think it's stockholders would be wondering why it has to take sides in the culture war. Well, that's exactly what's going to happen because as <clears throat> the shares start to, to go down and the attendance of the park, the parks are <clears throat> the biggest part of their business uh, and the branding and so on. And when, once that becomes real, uh, then shareholders are going to demand changes, and so or there'll I, be I a hostile it is, takeover. It'll be a hostile takeover, and it's going to be—it's really suicidal. But a lot of the you know corporate executives are, especially especially of public companies, are not known for having a spine. Uh, in fact, that's why they're hired. They're politicians essentially, and they try to go with the flow to keep everybody happy, and. Uh, you know, ultimately, what, what what we see is that the pressure groups 
are who try to win out, and they often are the prevailing group that does in the short term. But the public, which buys the products, is not going to be happy. And so I think that we're going to see a pushback. And I think that the uh, many people have canceled their Disney memberships. Right. And I know people who will not have any Disney books in their houses now for children. Well, even the older books. That's crazy. Which that's, are fine. that's crazy. <laughs> it is crazy. Anyway, I'm so saying speaking that, of that's the speaking of fantasy coming down to earth, uh, the New York Times and now especially the Washington Post have acknowledged that Hunter Biden's laptop is real and that the contents of it are real and authentic. And immense fallout is starting to happen. It's only it's mostly only happening on conservative media sites, Fox News, New York Post. Well, Wall except Street for Journal, the fact that the Washington Post <laughs> is not a conservative site. Exactly. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. But at least, you know, a lot of this is because there are these hearings going on about And there's a law there's a there's a uh, a grand jury that is looking yes. into Hunter Biden's behavior. And so right. as Jonathan Turley, the law professor, George Washington points out, you know, the newspapers cannot deny the facticity of that grand jury and what it's looking into. Right. And I also think that there are plenty of people in the media who believe that Biden is a loser and they've got to replace him. They don't want Harris as the replacement. So they're, you know, they're trying to maneuver. But the Post in their editorial uh, you know, is admitting that yes, there's a lot there, but they're apologizing for the 18 month gap, uh, saying that well they had to look into it further, which is just hooey. And uh, they they could have uh, looked you know, into it. It's really embarrassing. Much to, it's embarrassing to read the this this uh, this effort to try to apologize for the media not not taking it seriously when it was clearly corruption on the part of the media. So they're, they're, the the post explanation to, was. From my standpoint, I think from the three of us standpoint, very bizarre. So the supposed lesson of 2016, according to them, was that Russia did manipulate the U.S. election. And therefore, you shouldn't trust anything that has possibly anything to do with Russia. Of course, the flimsy, completely laughable few memes that Russian people put out during the 2016 election had no effect on anything. That is the most bizarre suggestion in the world. And then they said that, so that justifies in the 2020 election, uh, ignoring this and the 51 intelligence community officials saying it's Russian disinformation, the media using that as their backstop. By the way, the Republicans on the House Judiciary Committee have written to those 51 people and say, please justify what you did then, because if you don't, we're sending subpoenas to you to give us your internal communications out. Some of this kind of bothers me as a free speech, freedom of assembly type of person, but you know these intelligence officials really, they really tried to interfere in election dialogue in a kind of ugly, deceptive way. And intelligence I mean, people are experienced in deception. So And the post is uh, you know, in their editorial is is claiming that there was no cover up uh during the eighteen months. Uh and the claims that uh, Rudy Giuliani had um when he turned over the Okay, the so you say Rudy Giuliani, you're slightly suspect. We're gonna dig into this right away. Yeah, you don't exactly. drop the ball. And, and, Right, and and to but to Judy on his credit, he kept a copy of everything exactly. on the laptop. Exactly. Smart. So if they try to deny things, he can just pull the information out. Exactly. And, so now right. another new development is, of course, President Biden said numerous times, "Oh, my son Hunter never talked to me at all about uh, his business. You know, forget him traveling on uh, Air Force Two with me. Forget." You know, meetings at Cafe Milano, forget pictures right. of me. with. But now he wrote a letter of recommendation to Brown University for the son of the Chinese son of the CEO of this investment firm that his son was a partner in, Chinese investment mm-hmm. firm. And he wrote this letter of recommendation for this kid 
Now, how do you write a letter of recommendation for somebody without saying to your son who asked you to do it, who is this guy? Exactly. Why am I writing this letter? I, I, right. It's completely implausible to anyone who's ever had anything to do with college admissions, yeah. a kid right. going to college, themselves going to college, to say that someone writes a letter of recommendation and they don't know anything about what's going on. This is transparent. Yeah. It's deception and falsehood on the part of the president. Uh, earlier today during a press conference, you know, uh, Peter Ducey of Fox, he asked uh, Jen Psaki if it was common for President Biden to do favors for Hunter Biden's international business partners, <laughs> like writing college recommendations, and she refused to answer. Yeah, right. And then he asked, what, what, what did the president get in return for doing that favor? Again, right. no answer. Exactly. He, he, he has a very excellent manner because he's completely calm and kind of... He's cheery and nice. Yeah, he's kind of <laughs> cutely, uh, you know, matter of fact about it. And Jen Psaki, you can see why she's retiring, right? It's just an impossible... She's, not, she's going to MSNBC. She's an impo in an impossible position. Yeah, anybody in that position is. Well, did you see what Bill Maher said about this? I oh, thought this yes. was pretty interesting. Uh, a couple days, no, four days ago. Right. Um, he, he said, uh, yes, of course, this is, I'm reading verbatim from apparently, you know, a transcript. <clears throat> so, yes, of course, when Rudy Giuliani says, I've got some evidence, you take that with a giant thing of salt, but not two years. It didn't take two years. It looks like the left-wing media just buried the story because it wasn't part of their narrative. And that's, that's right. why people don't trust the media. Right. But I think there's another part uh, of this. And I was just reading a, a paper about the results of the church co um, committee <clears throat> investigation of the intelligence agencies. You're talking uh, about back in the day. Back, back in the day, that's church, right. Uh, church of, of Idaho. Frank Church, yeah. right. And, uh, you know, this was about the... FBI, the IRS, CIA, et cetera. COINTELPO. COINTELPO. Right. Absolutely. And so they were uncovering all this, and that led to the creating of the FISA courts and right. whatever. Uh, but it also raised the issue of these intelligence agencies' influence in major media. Right. And uh, there are certain people who were loyal and were basically mouthpieces for intelligent agency propaganda. Um, we, I think we don't even have an inkling of what may exist now because since then we've had the USA Patriot Act yeah. and other majors that have given even more think, official powers. I think those... But the Frank, the, the commission, the church commission, one of its committee. revelations, I think church at one time was said, well, you know, the what we are, uh, what the Congress is, is the uh, the watchdogs of these agencies, but there's no watching of the dogs. And uh, and others made the same kind of comments. And that's essentially what what we have today is that there is essentially no oversight to what is happening. So the view of the deep state, um, how many, how many uh, FBI agents were at the January 6th uh, protest? Uh, was Ray Epps you know, a, a guy who is actually provoking the people to storm the barricades and so on. We don't really know because no one is, has access to the information and it's being covered up. So the question is how much of the media is actually uh, sincere in what it says or mixed? it's a mixture of their ideology and some sort of involvement with agency propaganda. And, we just don't know. And, and I would also say, without gainsaying anything that David's saying here, is... There's, when you're a journalist, you are somewhat reliant and you're covering a government agency. You're somewhat reliant on the good offices of the people yep. in that agency. So let's say you're covering the Pentagon mm -hmm. and you start you know, endlessly attacking what they're doing. You know, you're paying $1,000 for a toilet seat and on and on. Uh, pretty soon they're not gonna return your phone calls. That's right. Or they're not going to call on you at press conferences. And mm -hmm. then, you know, your your boss at the news desk says, why aren't you getting any story? So there are subtle incentives as well as uh, overt collusion and, and, and yeah, right. subvention. Well, this story about the, the Hunter Biden laptop, it bears on some of the other things we were talking about, too, because, you know, for ordinary people, 
people get their information off of websites, social media, and so forth. Well, this is an instance where Twitter blocked the story right. um, because it was considered false. Uh, Facebook uh, downranked the story and their algorithms labeling mm -hmm. it misinformation and so forth. And then, you know, a long time later, it turns out that even the Washington Post and others admit that it was true. So what does that tell the average person about how they should view these social media blockages and rankings? You know, when mm -hmm. fact checkers, fact checkers are everywhere, you know, in the, in the media and the social media world. When fact checkers say, oh, this is misleading or false information, mm -hmm. I think this gives people reason to doubt that these keepers of opinion, um, who supposedly are guarding the vulnerable public from misinformation are some, themselves sometimes pretty twisted and biased. I think and it's a very illustrative episode. I think yep. that your, your point is very good, Graham. And I think the only solution is an onerous one for members of the public, but it's to try to get your information from a variety of exactly. sources and kind of mm -hmm. try and triangulate among them. And, and I think use, that's what we're Use seeing. your People knowledge of that. history. Right. Uh, to be suspicious of things and <clears throat> to know enough history so that you know how things went to the current mm -hmm. time and so what are more likely and less likely next steps. So, you know, it's not that the future is determined or predictable, but mm -hmm. these are the only kinds of checks you have. Um, I think there's some other fascinating little tidbits that I would like to get to. Oh, by all means. You were telling me about some weird new law in California. I didn't understand that. Tell us more, oh, Bill. So it's not a, it's, it's a proposed law. Oh, so proposed right, law. Okay. So right now in California, this is not common among states around the country, but in California, you can have a sheriff who's also a coroner. So the sheriff's mm -hmm. office also uh, is looking at dead bodies and what caused death and things like that. So the problem, you know, this is, you could say, okay, so what? The problem is sometimes wrongful deaths occur when people are in police custody. And so, I mean, the Floyd, the George Floyd case is this sort of a thing. And we've had instances like this in California. And so, and, and sometimes, you know, the, the sheriff will say, when the sheriff's own deputies do something that was 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 wrong, was a violation of the rights of the prisoner, uh, and, and killed him, uh, they'll say, "Oh, just an accidental death," and they will try, attempt to cover it up. And so the idea is that uh, under the statute, if it gets passed, they would separate out the sheriff and the coroner. I mean, it might end up being slightly more expensive, but I think for civil liberties. This is uh, a very wise thing, and I hope that the, it's, it's not really a partisan thing between Democrats and Republicans. I think mm -hmm. both could support this. And as I said, it's, it's it, you know, my own county of Orange County, they have them combined. In, in San Bernardino County, they have it. It's, in some big counties in California. It sounds just combined. like this would be basically checks and balances at the local exactly. level. It should be a yes. check and balance. Yeah. And I think yes. uh, what, whatever the supposed reason was for uniting them, I think this uh, the, the need for the rights of the accused to be protected overcomes <laughs> that. So I hope mm -hmm. that passes. There's, there's Speaking of jails, a funny thing happened in India. So <laughs> guy was put in jail. And uh, he wanted some reading material. So one of his uh, family or friends sent him uh, a Bertie and Jeeves type book by P.G. Mm -hmm. Woodhouse, the English humorist. And the jail authority <laughs> said that this was subversive and a threat to public order. And they did not a Bertie and Jeeves book get to the jail. I think this has to be one of the more comic things and uh, certainly shows that there's plenty of well, you, ignorance. You never know what Bertie and Jeeves, your Bertie and Jeeves might set a bad example. Yeah. They remember, they stole the hat from the, the policeman. <laughs> they did a bunch of amazing things. <laughs> hey, here's another weird thing. Um, you know, I, I saw in the news, like this is about a month ago now, that in New York City, 
um, the mask mandate, you know, rules have been tweaked so that entertainers and pro athletes wouldn't have to demonstrate, wouldn't have to either mask or uh, have vaccination in order to play and perform in New York City. But now, as of this week, New York says that children under five do have to be masked. Right. Mm -hmm. So Crazy. why is it? In, why do you think in New York City that the celebrities can get off scot free, but the children have to wear masks? Because the teachers' union yeah. doesn't have power over the celebrities. That's right. Oh, that's the reason. I think David right. has captured it exactly. <laughs> By the way, a public servant, a bureaucrat from the legal department of New York City, confronted Mayor Eric Adams at a news conference and demanded to know what was going on with this thing of masking of children. And she sure. was fired the next yeah. day. Oh, my goodness. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's crazy. Uh, he had said it was going to end, and then they put mm -hmm. it back on. So I was talking well, to my the, own doctor last week about this, and she said, not only is it not effective, but these young kids, they can't keep the mask on anyway. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it is so crazy. it's a big emphasis. So the CEOs of uh, the major airline uh, companies sent a letter to Biden requesting that the mask mandate in uh, airports across the country would be removed. And the White House refused to rescind it. And uh, so we were just flying uh, Mary and I this past weekend. And it's a totally weird thing to see all these people and these children, tiny children, wearing mm -hmm. masks for no point. And on the airlines than, themselves, they have immensely yeah, effective right. filters and circulation. Exactly. In fact, it, 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 except if you're outside, it turns out that the air in an airplane is probably the cleanest that you're going to find. Anywhere, right. Almost anywhere, right. right. We are uh, grateful for um, all of our friends who joined us. We didn't get to all the questions that I got, but thank you for sending them. Really appreciate our friends being with us. And uh, let me give uh, David and Bill both uh, one last parting shot. Uh, what would you like to tell us, David? Well, one little thing I might just throw out is that if when we see instances in which there is uh, behavior that is ongoing, which doesn't seem to ma match reality or common sense, the chances are pretty high that there is some sort of cartel in operation. Mm. This is an old lesson from Adam Smith. Uh, Smith said that the only time competitors will meet is when they want to get together to collude to raise prices. The problem, though, is that because the market price is below the raised price that they want to set it at, there's a great incentive for people to cheat behind the backs of the other cartel members to make more money, because they make more money at the market clearing price. So what cartels had to do was to keep everybody in line, and the way they would do that was, you know, the mafia would, you know, break your kneecaps in the alley or, or they threaten your wife or whatever. You have to use violence. Or to a regulatory agency would control it. Or use the government, because then the government is ipso facto in the public interest. So you get the government to police the cartel. So just keep that in mind when we're talking about uh, censorship and prices and energy and you know the schools and whatever else. And the chances are pretty high that over a period of time, if, if it persists, there's a cartel in operation which is being policed somehow, usually by the government. So speaking Bill, parting of, shot from you. So speaking of schools, I and my co-author, Zaev Vorman, have a chapter in a book that was just issued by the Heritage Foundation called The Critical Classroom. And it's about critical math. It's called Critical Math Doesn't Add Up. And it's about the history of left-wing politics and racial consciousness and politicalization of mathematics teaching and it's just a fascinating saga of how the teaching of math has been distorted uh, by these ideologically committed activists and how they want to turn the classroom into a recruiting and training ground for future social justice warriors and green activists. And uh, instead of just teaching math, which is hard enough for our schools to 
succeed at and convey what's needed to be known to the children. So I recommend- The title also, is Critical Math Doesn't Add Up. Right. Right. The book, so is called, chap- the book is called The Critical Classroom, edited by Lindsay Burke, uh, Jonathan uh, Butcher, and J.P. Green. And uh, Bill and Ziev's uh, chapter is a new policy report from, from Independent by Institute. the title, which is on our website, and we invite you to go and see it. Thank you. And we invite our friends always to visit our website, independent.org, because we are in the business of assembling a lot of careful information and analysis that can help you sort through a lot of these conundrums and confusions as best we can. Uh, please do visit us at independent.org and also I just like to say that by the time we see our friends again on this uh, platform of independent outlook, let's just hope that there's some kind of a negotiated compromise peace over there between Ukraine and Russia. And uh, hopefully the U.S. and Western powers don't insist on some kind of repeat version of a punitive Versailles Treaty, uh, but instead accept something that'll bring the hostility to an end for everybody's sake. So with that hope in mind, um, we'll say goodbye to all of our friends invite you again to visit independent.org and also to come back and see us next time on Independent Outlook. Thanks, David. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Bye-bye.